sociopolitical issues. One man searches for intelligent conversation. From Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy, this is You Don't Have to Yell with your host, Dan Sally. 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 Welcome, lords and ladies. You sound like the greeter at medieval times. Welcome to episode 63 of You Don't Have to Yell. Now a mere three weeks away from the start of the 2024 presidential campaign cycle. I can't wait. It's the bad boy of nonpartisan political podcasting here, and I have been fielding a lot of questions from folks related to this year's election, specifically when it comes to having an accurate count on election day and whether it's stupid theories about busloads of people coming across the border with Mexico to vote as dead people or fears that the election results will be tied up in court for months following election day, how this is all going to unfold remains shrouded in fear and mystery. So to help dispel fact from fiction... I've invited back Jenya Coulter, a.k.a. Election Babe, from episode 40 in May to join me for this week's episode and tell us exactly what we should be worried about this year and what is just crazy talk. Now, in addition to being queen of election Twitter, she's also precinct clerk for Polk County, Florida, meaning she knows a little bit about running elections and counting ballots. I will be back at the end with final thoughts. Until then, listen to The Smart Woman. First question to, to kick things off is, can you, could you talk a little bit about your work, um, both within elections, but also your work with the U.S. Vote Foundation? Of course. All right. When I was at U.S. Vote Foundation, I was their social media program manager, and also I ran help desk. And if you ever want to know all the things that can go wrong in an election, <laughs> the help desk. Okay. I mean, I learned very quickly that some states do a really great job of being proactive and keeping on top of voter issues. Other states kind of lag behind. Um, mm. Looking at you, New York City. Really? And I have. I, they. It's not. The, it's not that they don't handle in-person voting well. They actually do. It's that. New York City has never been fond of absentee voters, and so vote by mail has been the. I'm, I commend them for moving over to vote by mail. Yeah. It's just it's there's going to be some growing pains, and I think they're learning that the hard way. Got it. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. And and also, could you tell the folks listening what the U.S. Vote Foundation does or what their mission is? All right, um, U.S. Vote Foundation is a nonprofit five hundred one c three that handles absentee ballots and for voters who are overseas and in the military. Okay. They are a wonderful organization. I'm no longer with them, but I, the two years I was with them, it was a great learning experience and it was a wonderful team that I worked with. Okay, cool. And now could you talk a little bit about what you do as far as running elections in, in your County? All right. I am an early voting branch manager at the most heavily trafficked um, early voting site in Polk County. Okay. And I also train poll workers and I do, I, I do precinct support as well. Okay, cool. Cool. And, and to kind of clue our listeners into um, because there's no subject that is not 
politicized at this point in time. Um, Polk County is a county that back in 2016 swung for Trump. And, uh, and it could be argued uh, Trump needs to win this, this time in order to uh, win re-election. And, and the reason I bring this up um, is because most of the suspicion I've heard or most of the, I guess, most of the questions I've heard around the integrity of our elections have come from my friends on the right. Mm-hmm. And so I want to make it clear as we go into this conversation that we're not talking to somebody who is explicitly here to endorse a particular partisan bent or is anti-conservative by any stretch of the imagination. We're talking to somebody here who's just looking to make sure that there's a clean, fair election. Is that a fair assessment? Is that a fair statement to make? Or I think so. I always tell people, I don't care who you vote for. I just care that you vote. Yep. Yep. And so I guess to start things off, obviously I've heard a lot of different uh, I've, I've heard a lot of different theories about what could go wrong with the election. I've heard a lot of um, I've heard a lot of questions around different practices. Are there any specific Are there any specific pieces of misinformation circulating around how elections are run or the integrity of elections that you feel are particularly worth noting? I think people have a, a lot of misconceptions about how absentee ballots in particular are handled and processed. Mm-hmm. And in-person voting, I think a lot of people have so little faith in the vote by mail process mm-hmm. that they are insisting on voting in person when they may not actually need to vote in person and risk exposing themselves to COVID. Okay. Okay. So What's the difference if I send in an absentee ballot, let's say, what's, right. the, what's the difference in how that's handled versus if I go in and, and cast a ballot at my local middle school or wherever? Okay, so if you mail a ballot in, hopefully you've, done every, you've followed the instructions that they've provided. You've put it in a secrecy sleeve if there is one. You have a witness signature if there needs to be one. And you've signed and dated your ballot envelope. That's really mm-hmm. important. Sign and date it. Mm-hmm. If it's sent in and it is received on time, the election office, it goes and is put into a signature matching scanner where they verify the identity of the voter and match up the barcode. And once that identity and the prerequisites have been met, meaning it's been signed and dated, mm-hmm. it goes into the, it gets taken out of the envelope and just remains in secrecy sleeve, or if there is one, mm-hmm. to be adjudicated later and put through the high-speed ballot scanner. Mm-hmm. And once they give the go-ahead to start scanning the ballots, it can be anywhere from a couple of weeks before Election Day till a week after Election Day, depending on which jurisdiction you're in. They will just start feeding those ballots into the high-speed ballot scanner and tabulating the votes. Okay. Now, if you vote in person, you're mm -hmm. going to either be using a voting machine or a hand-marked paper ballot, and you're going to be putting the paper ballot in the uh, ballot scanner, and the ballot scanner tabulates that vote, and the votes aggregated for that particular location will get transmitted to the election office at the end of the night and the ballots will get transported back to the election office and they won't get scanned again unless there has unless there's something like a recount or a risk limiting audit. Okay. So it sounds to me like the main difference between the absentee ballot and the vote in person is kind of who feeds that ballot into the machine. Is it you in person or is it the person handling the absentee ballot, correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Now, 
where are those? So if I mail in my absentee ballot, then where is that held? How is that kept secure in between when it's received and when it's finally fed into the machine? Those are kept in a sealed box under lock and key in a room with a bazillion security cameras that is also under lock and key. <laughs> I mean, I, the elect the security at my office is intense, shall I say? Yeah. I mean, we're, I mean, even if you work there, you're not supposed to be going, wandering around anywhere by yourself. And the ballot scanner room, the room where we keep the high speed scanners, that's double locked and there's like six cameras. Okay. Okay. Um, Operation OPSEC is very important to most election offices. And there are some election offices where I swear when I've been in backstage, it's almost like in Fort Knox. Yeah. Yeah. And and now one thing I think that's worth noting too for the folks listening, and, and you can affirm this, is that when we talk about where ballots are kept, how they're kept, and so on. There's no one statewide central location. Every county, every precinct kind of has its own secure facility to to maintain these things. So we're literally talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of areas, correct? Yes. I mean, I wish, I mean, maybe a small state could have a a centralized location, Mm -hmm. but a state like California or Florida, God help us. No, those... um, you're pretty much chain of custody is the most important thing during the election period. Mm-hmm. So there's probably tighter security on the actual day with the in-person ballots, but that's mm-hmm. because there's like anywhere from four to 12 people who are keep, who are watching those boxes of ballots, like a hawk, making sure that they don't get distributed before they're ready. Got it. Got it. And so let's just play. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Let's just say I have this nefarious mission to uh, taint a particular county's election. And so I go in and I get in good with the precinct clerk or I find my or I work my way into the organization and I get myself to the point where I'm one of those 10 to 12 people. What are some of the measures in place to keep maybe one bad actor from going in and messing with everything? That's a really good question. Um, one of the rules that we have, at least for my county, is everything has to be done by two election workers of different parties. You can't do anything by yourself. Somebody will always be assigned with you, and it will be from a different political party. Okay. Okay. That's super interesting. And again, this is Florida, everyone. So this is a state that is, I mean, it's, it's been a critical swing state for as long as I've been watching presidential elections, which is longer than I care to admit. Um, but, uh, but so that's super interesting. So, and is that a statewide uh, policy or is that just Polk County? That I'm, that I'm not sure of, but I know for my county, it's, it, it's two workers of different political parties and they are pretty, they're pretty strict about that. Like I can't transport ballots by myself, but somebody has to come with me. Okay. okay. When those ballots get checked into the election office, it mm-hmm. looks like border patrol at the U.S.-Mexico border. There's like a million sheriffs and there's okay. bright lights everywhere. I mean, it's, it's an experience. All right. All right. So bottom line, if I'm mailing, if I'm voting by mail, if mm-hmm. I'm sending in an absentee ballot, we know that there are, there are enough security measurements in place where it can't be where it could be reasonably assumed that that particular aspect of voting would not be messed with. Yeah. I'm not saying that it couldn't ever happen. I mean, I live in the real world, but 
I think there's enough safeguards in place where it would be, it wouldn't really be worth your time to mess yeah. with the ballots. Yeah. And, we, and again, chain of custody, we have to sign off and document everything. Yeah. And so now maybe another, another way to take that or another angle here. So I mail in my absentee ballot. What keeps me from going into my polling place on election day and voting in person? And oh, I'm so glad you asked. We actually have a really cool stopgap for that. Oh, um, interesting. We use electronic, <laughs> um, during early voting, we use electronic poll books. And for, we keep track of who's been mailed a ballot and who has returned their ballot. We have a live ballot tracking software, which is just awesome. We love okay. it. And so what happens is um, if a voter comes in and they've already mailed back their ballot and the election office has received it, we will get a dialogue box on our electronic poll books saying, hey, uh, this person voted and here's the time their ballot came in. Ah, and now do I get a choice as to which one counts or, or no? Do you just kind of it's pick? The first one, it's the first one that hits the door at the election office, quite frankly. Okay, got it. Got it. Okay, interesting. Interesting. So bottom line is I can't break into the ballot. I can't break into the place where all the ballots are kept and throw a bunch out or, or dump a bunch of ballots in for one candidate and I can't vote twice. No, I mean, we do. It's like we do try to staff these things reasonably well to where somebody would. And if there is like extra ballots, I do reconciliation. I help with the reconciliation audit as well mm -hmm. after the election. Yeah. And if there's something missing or there's something extra, we find it because there's a team of 20 of us and we're pretty much going through everything, every document, every poll tape with a fine tooth comb. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now an another question that came up or that I've heard from a lot of folks is about funding for elections and how maybe there are some parts of the country that don't have the same level of funding. So maybe they're either they're the availability of certain options for elections. So for example, staffing of polling places or or again, those security measurements might be out of budget. Is that a justified suspicion or no? Absolutely. Um, part of the problem is with federal election funding, it's allocated, it's not means tested. It's allocated mm -hmm. by population. So the bigger your population, guess what? The more money you get, regardless of need or how good your state funding is. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the smaller counties and rural areas, they really do get short shrift. And one of the things that I've noticed is um, certain private um, foundations have been making grants to some of the smaller election departments to help them get over this hump with funding. Mm -hmm. And some people have been questioning whether or not that's, you know, whether that's ethical. But from a practical perspective, I'm glad somebody's trying to step up and help, you know, help some of the smaller counts, the counties and jurisdictions, yeah. because they deserve to have the same type of election technology and access to election security options that some of the larger counties do or cities if it's a municipal. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And so I don't know if you have a comment on this or not, but you know, one of the things I saw shared a lot during the 2016 election were people waiting in line for hours to uh, cast their ballot. And a lot of these stories talked about how communities of color were particularly hard hit. Do you have any comment on that and whether that's a real problem or whether that's maybe the result of some other issue? I think it is a problem. Now I work, my, my location is majority minority. Okay. 
and the longest anybody has ever had to wait, and this is at full capacity, 2,300 voters showed up. Mm-hmm. The longest wait we had was about an hour. And even then, I'm still mad that they had to wait an hour because we've got a lot of elderly folks. Mm-hmm. And we've had people keel over in line before. Oh. I try to, I'd like to minimize that if possible. Fortunately, I'm blessed with an amazing team that knows what they're doing and can process voters within two flicks of a lamb's tail. Not everybody, like if your poll worker's having problems with the technology, mm-hmm. yes, it's going to take longer. If there's a power outage, yes, it's going to take longer. I think for a lot of the, some of the polling places in my in majority minority areas, they're in older buildings and older buildings are notoriously unreliable, especially when it comes to stuff like power. Mm-hmm. And I, the other thing that I think may influence this is Minority voters are statistically much less likely to vote by mail. They like to vote in person because in a lot of cases, the vote by mail system either hasn't been, hasn't been promoted in their community or they've been let down by the system and they don't trust it, which I totally understand. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you have a bunch of voters who are going to vote in person on election day, yeah, you're going to have brutal lines. If you can dis- if you can space out the num- the flow of voters over a period of time, the lines are going to be a lot shorter. And Florida actually proved that reduction in line wait times can be done. And we reduced our times by about seventy five percent from two thousand and eight to twenty twelve. Got it. How anything specific lead to that, or any specific maybe set of factors help that out? I think introduction of uh, electronic electronic poll books. Okay. And also making sure that in the institution of early voting. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I really, I mean, I love early voting. To me, it's like I can solve just about any problem a voter has during that time period. Yeah, yeah. And so it 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 does sound to me too like like again when we talk about a lot of these, uh, let's call them misconceptions or or a lot of these problems, um, a lot of them have more to do with kind of how people vote and maybe the facilities rather than some deliberate effort to uh, subvert a particular group of people. Is that fair? Or am I, am I off base there? I don't want to make any huge assumptions here. I'd, I'd say that's fair. I mean, there are some areas where, yes, I do believe voter suppression is a serious issue. Yeah. I, but I think in other areas, I think the concerns overblown, it's not a suppression issue. It's a logistics issue, which yeah. is not a particularly sexy topic. I mean, I talk about logistics all day long and it's just me shouting into a void. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you say the word and people instantly just shut off, you know? Oh yeah. It's like, it's a meat. It's like a great cure for insomnia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do you, you know, one of the, and I'll throw this out here as well, because I think this is useful to the folks listening. Uh, a while back, you shared a link to, I believe it was powerthepolls.com, mm-hmm. which is a resource folks can go to if they want to volunteer. Um, I shared that with my group and I'll share it with the folks here. If voter suppression or if, uh, if voting in underserved communities is a priority for anyone listening, you can go to powerthepolls.com. It will actually give you a list of polling places in your state you can volunteer at. I don't know if it's too late to do that or not, but. Oh my God, really? Oh, that's, I think it's, I appreciate the sentiment behind it. Yeah. But, um, you, when you're a poll worker, you yeah. do not get control over where you're assigned. Oh, so I mean, you I've, just, been doing this, I've been doing this for years and I don't get control over where I'm assigned. Really? So if I were to volunteer, if I were to kind of volunteer and say, 
so I couldn't, for example, call up a community that uh, I feel might need a little extra help. I would just kind of get put into a database and thrown wherever. Is that correct? Yeah. They assign you where the greatest need is. Got it. So bottom line, though, is I think the, the, the end game is the same, which is if your concern is that too many people are going to be waiting in line to cast their ballot, volunteer. And you're mm-hmm. going to get thrown in a place that needs you and ideally reduce those wait times. Is that fair? Yeah. Yes. And if you speak more than one language, they don't have enough of you. So please volunteer. We really need you. All right. All right. We're getting somewhere. So um, we've talked a little bit about uh, voter suppression or the idea of particular communities being underserved by either funding or uh, locations. We've talked a little bit about security of mail-in voting. What else is out there? What other misconceptions are out there that you feel are worth noting here? That people assume that ballots get thrown away or tossed like just without any consideration. Mm-hmm. People do not realize the quickest way to make sure your ballot gets counted is to follow all the directions. But there's a big problem here. If you if English isn't the language you're most comfortable using, mm-hmm. not every jurisdiction has language access. And okay. this is where um, bilingual folks in particular um, if you if you really want to make a difference in your community if in your communities, if you can just help the people you know who are voting by mail understand what they're reading on the directions on their absentee ballot, mm-hmm. because we want I mean we want to give people the absolute benefit of the doubt. I don't want people thinking that if they vote by mail, their ballot's automatically going to be rejected. That's not true. Mm-hmm. It's just that if the directions aren't followed, those directions are there for a reason and. Most of those directions exist to protect the voter's privacy, but it, that is not very well communicated by anybody. And I can understand why voters feel like hesitant to vote by mail, even though, I mean, I voted by mail for a while and I love it, but I don't, I understand not everybody has that experience. Yeah. Yeah. And so bottom line, if you are a native English speaker, pay attention and follow the instructions. Yes. And then it, it sounds to me though, if you're not, a lot of your ability to follow those instructions or have those instructions communicated clearly are really going to be dependent on the the area you're voting in, correct? Yes. And for some folks with in-person voting, if you're lucky enough to be in an area that will have language access, in-person voting might actually make more sense for certain people. Got it. What If you don't have a number, that's fine. But what percentage of voters would you say fall into that category? Um, it's higher than you'd think. I'd say it's at least I'd say it's at least fifteen percent, if not higher, in some areas. Um, there's one there's one um, early voting location in my county that is over forty percent Spanish speaking. Oh, got it. Okay, okay. So and then it's they- not just it's not just it's not, and it's not just folks from Puerto Rico. It's folks from Honduras, folks from Nicaragua, folks from Venezuela. You know, we want because if for a lot of folks, it's not the same. Especially you know, with Spanish has different dialects. So one person's Spanish might not make that much sense to someone else. Yes, yes, yes. And that's, you know, one thing I'd bring up here too, because obviously there are some folks who are going to be coming from all English speaking communities and might not quite understand, but English is a very difficult language (laughs) and, and you can live in this country a very, very long time and know enough to get by and still maybe not understand the instructions on uh, on a ballot, or still not understand something highly technical. 
Some of those ballot instructions are, even if you're, even if you, you speak English perfectly, some of those ballot instructions are anything but clear. Believe you know, me, I've got a hall of shame of poorly designed ballots with poorly worded instructions. Yeah. And the, the jurisdictions that use plain language or pictures, they're my heroes because they are the ones that generally have the most successful vote-by-mail return rates across the board. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. And actually, I'll, I'll, I'll bring up an example here, which is in Massachusetts, you know, we're a ballot initiative state. So every election cycle, there's some new question we have to vote on. And people quite literally spend a good month explaining what these questions are about. Mm-hmm. Because they are worded in such a confusing way. So again, you don't even have to be, uh, in, in some cases, being a native English speaker won't even help you. You literally mm-hmm. need to have scored a 1600 on the SATs to get it. Yes. Yep. Yep. Okay. Now, another question I got, uh, and I don't know if this applies to Florida or not, but I got a question around voter ID. Mm-hmm. And is Florida a state, do they require ID to vote or no? Yes. Although the one thing I will say about Florida, we mm-hmm. do not have that many problems with people not having ID. Why is that? It surprised me because we are a real ID state and real ID states, it's really difficult to get ID. Trust me on this one. I wrote a whole article about it. Yeah. um, One of the things that's interesting is the vast majority, I I think I've maybe had two voters who didn't have their ID with them after processing like 15,000 and both Mm -hmm. had just forgotten their ID at home. It wasn't that they didn't have any. So I think that the... um, Voter ID is important because of one simple thing. It expedites the process. States that don't use voter ID, it takes longer to look up voters. Now, this is not a popular thing. I know that people think that voter ID is the devil. But those of us in voter ID states generally don't have any, our voters usually don't have that many problems accessing ID. And we're able to get them in and out a lot quicker. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because Massachusetts isn't uh, a voter ID state. So Mm -hmm. when, when I show up, I walk in the door, uh, they ask my address, they look up my address, they ask my name, and they cross my name off the list. And that's how we do it there. Is that giving you the hives or no? Yes, because that's essentially asking you to dox yourself. Okay. Okay, interesting. So tell me what are some of the, what are some of the holes in our process here? Having to state your address and your name... Now, one of the things that I've, I'm really sensitive to is um, survivors of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. In Florida, we have con- people we have people who are in what's called a confidential address program, mm-hmm. and so if we can't, we don't want to ask them their address or their name. The only thing that we'll ask them is, "Is your information current with the supervisor of elections office?" And that way, their privacy is protected. Okay. And okay. I've tried, and I've generally, I've moved that system over to my regular voters mm-hmm. because as long as I can see their ID, address isn't as much of an issue in Florida as it is photo and signature. Mm-hmm. As long as I can just say, look, is your information current with the supervisor of elections office and their ID scans without a problem? Mm-hmm. They don't have to, they don't have to give any personal information to me. Got it. Got it. So it sounds to me like your concern about voter ID is more about expediting the process and protecting personal information than it is somebody showing up and voting as somebody else. Is that correct? Yes. I'm really not worried about voter impersonation. I Mm -hmm. am concerned that somebody who's a domestic violence survivor may have the person who hurt them 
mm-hmm. at the same polling place that they are at the same time. I don't want them to have to give the information and have somebody find out where they are. Got it. Got it. Got it. So what do you think about the concerns from a security standpoint? Like, what do you think about the concerns about somebody voting fraudulently as someone else? Is that a legitimate fear or is that a bit overblown? It's overblown. I mean, I'm not going to say it's never happened, but what's more common is that it wasn't that somebody tried to vote twice. It's that the poll worker, the voter had an issue with their voter record or made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And the poll worker, while trying to resolve it, may have accidentally checked them in twice. Got it. Got it. I've seen that happen. I've had Mm -hmm. to back people out of that. It's an experience. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, generally, too, if you do the math, right, it would actually be cheaper to give people a hundred bucks each to vote fraudulently and tilt the election than it would be to actually run a legitimate election in the United States, just based on the cost of it. So in my mind, if it were that easy to vote fraudulently, they would have been doing it a long time ago. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back in a moment with Jenya Coulter. Howdy, folks. I hope you're enjoying today's show, and I hope Jenya has given you some level of assurance that we will see free and fair elections in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Disinformation about the electoral process is one of the most disappointingly corrosive things to have happened to the American political dialogue this year, and that's saying a lot. And learning about how elections are run for people other than those purporting conspiracy theories is a good first step to countering that. Now, I put some more information up on YDHTY.com, including links to Jenya's past episode, which goes into more depth into the electoral process, uh, some additional content and information on how you can help out in the upcoming election. If you have questions or comments on the subject, you can fill out the contact us form on ydhty.com or reach me on social media via the hashtag ydhty. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me to help make democracy better. And thank you for your support. One of the things that I think has been kind of interesting is that for a long time, people were like, with the pandemic, people were like, vote by mail, vote by mail. And all of a sudden, now everybody's insisting vote in person, vote in person, vote in person. Yeah. I can't downshift that fast. Personally, I think if you don't have to vote in person and your state has a good vote by mail program, vote by mail. It will protect you. It will protect your loved ones. If you absolutely have to vote in person, Please protect yourself. You know, poll workers will have PPE and be sanitizing everything, but it's going to be a lot of people in close proximity to each other. And I am genuinely worried in some cases about potential super spreader events, particularly in states that don't have mask mandates. So it sounds to me like if your state is one that is offering a vote by mail option, do that not just for yourself, but for everybody else involved. I think so. I mean, no, there's certain people who genuinely will need to vote in person. I don't want to stop them from doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's just that if you, ha- if you know that vote by mail works for you, try to vote by mail if you can. Yeah. Okay. Understood. Understood. I mean, I can't vote in person because I'll be working. So 
I will be, although you know what, I will be putting my ballot in the, I will be bringing it to the ballot drop box at my election office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, then it sounds like for for everybody listening, if you are not a person who needs to vote in person and your state offers vote by mail, vote by mail for the sake of everyone else. Is there any, you know, one of the things I've, I've heard a lot to uh, on TV and, and, and radio and such is the, the fear that there's going to be, there's going to be too many people voting by mail and it's going to be too difficult to process, or it's going to take too long to process. Is that a legitimate threat or is that a legitimate fear? Or again, overblown? Depends on the state, Florida. Don't worry about it. We can start processing ballots as soon as logic and accuracy testing is over. And I think that ended last week. Okay. So we can, so we can at least start making sure that the ballot envelopes are, have the right signature and date and contacting voters that may need to cure their signature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's one of the, Florida, Florida is pretty proactive. Now there are other states where they can't even start processing the envelopes until after the election. Mm-hmm. And yes, that's going to take a very long time. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's, it's, you're going to have to look at it on a jurisdiction by jurisdiction basis. There's yeah. no blanket answer that I could give you. Are there any other considerations or any other preparations you think voters should be making in terms of how they cast their ballot, where they cast their ballot, and so on in the coming weeks? Okay. If you have if your state offers or if your jurisdiction offers early voting, mm-hmm. find out the hours from your county or city's website and get there as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, be prepared for a wait, have water, have medication. Have food if you're diabetic. You know, I don't want anyone going into a diabetic coma on me. Mm-hmm. Please wear masks, even if it's not a mask mandate. Everybody will appreciate it, especially the poll workers. And follow instructions, everyone. Follow. Oh, and look, up the, and look up the issues. It's, I mean, yes, we'll have sample ballots around, mm-hmm. but here's the thing. We can't, poll workers can't answer any questions about the issues. Yeah. So So they won't be able to help. So please try to research them beforehand. And again, if you know somebody who's not as comfortable using English and you can translate for them, mm -hmm. please help them. It really, it'll really make a difference in how comfortable they feel with the process. Okay. Okay. So it sounds to me then like know what you're voting for and know how you're voting before you get there. Yes. The hashtag I think is make a plan to vote. And it's a really good hashtag, even if I didn't come up with it. All right, cool. That's cool. So, so make a plan to vote. Uh, make sure that you uh, have a clear that you have a clear understanding of the ballot instructions. Vote early or by mail if you can. If you do have to vote in person, wear a mask and behave yourselves. And there's one last thing I'm going to throw out there, mm-hmm. which is thank your poll workers because Aww. yeah. Well, you do you know what I've in the process of doing this. I've learned quite a bit from you and from other folks. And the analogy I heard, which either you told me, and it was just said on our most recent episode, was uh, running an election is like doing a Broadway play that closes the same night it opens. And so you have no, you you really have to get everything right right away. So I think... Yeah, there's no room for error. You have to get everything right the first time or you're on the six o'clock news for the the wrong reasons. Exactly. And you were the one who told me a good election is one where you don't end up on the six o'clock news. So, yep, yep. yep. So, so I think that, uh, I, I think that I just advise everyone to understand that 
the there's not some faceless partisan uh, bureaucracy behind running elections. It is quite literally uh, a number of volunteers and a number of people who are there to make sure that people can vote and people get access to voting. And there isn't a concern with how they vote or who they vote for. One other thing I think worth noting out there for those of us who have gotten used to, you know, sitting up and watching the election results come in, do you think everybody maybe ought to take a chill pill this year and just acknowledge that it might take a little more time than usual to figure out who exactly won the election? Well, I, think the, I think the general public actually does have a really realistic expectation. They don't expect it to come out on election night. Perfect. The only people who expect that are the pollsters and the analysts whose job depends on getting the scoop first. Yeah, yeah. They're the ones who I have to have the, you know, okay, you know, when a ballot and a ballot scanner love each other very much talk, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, like, John King and his little you know, iPad and his, and his touchscreen, they're just going to have to kind of dial that back a bit. Yes. And I know it's going to drive them all nuts because I know a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, look, I've explained to them. They get, we get done when we get done. Yeah. I wish we could move at the speed of media, but we move the speed of government. Mm-hmm. Deal. Okay, kids. So what did Jenya tell us? Number one. Vote early or by mail if you can. It's perfectly safe, it'll reduce crowds at polling stations, and it'll decrease the odds you either get sick or get someone else sick. Number two, don't expect results on election night. Remember what she said, elections move at the speed of government. So that means if you're staying up to get drunk and watch the results, you may just end up getting drunk. Lastly, Voter fraud and voter impersonation on a large scale is a myth. A myth. It is a myth. Do I need to say it again? For more information on that subject, you can swing by YDHTY.com for details in the blog. You can also find Jenya on Twitter via the handle ElectionBabe. As always, music courtesy of QuellerTag. Editorial advising and navigation provided by Admiral Adam Yaffe. YDHTY is produced in North Carolina by the big Gino Jason Putney. Until the next, this is Dan Sally signing off.